Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28. If you want to read along with me, I'm going to begin with verse 1. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So the Philistines are the people who occupy the area that the Israelites have gone in to colonize for hundreds of years now to this point. Um, Achish is the king of the Philistines. David is the um, is an Israelite. It's the same David and Goliath David. He's not King David yet, but he's heading toward that way. And um, um, the Philistines are getting ready to go to war, and they're telling David he's going to be a part of their army because David has gone to them for refuge, for asylum, and they were uh, kind enough to grant it to him. So um, he's let there. He's being told he's going to be a part of their army for the war that's headed their way. Verse two. So David said to Achish, "Surely you know what your servant can do." And Achish said to David, "Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever." So David is letting him know, um, "Yes, you've enlisted and you've drafted him for the war, and you know what he can do." He's letting him know he knows he's. Fierce at battle, uh, a good warrior, and he's letting him know he's all in with them too. And so the king, Akish, is letting him know because you're that loyal or because you're able like that and willing, he's going to make him um, his ace wound coon forever. Verse 3, now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. So Samuel was the religious uh, head of the people. He was sort of the high priest, if you can think of it that way, or maybe even more um, accurately, the prophet, the person people would go to when they're looking for a connection to God because they believe Samuel was able to have communications with God. And um, even though that is how it reads throughout the Old Testament, like we've said before, that contradicts what the New Testament says about no one ever having heard God's voice or seen God's form at any time. I'm paraphrasing that, but if you've read with me before, you know just what I'm talking about. If this is your first time reading with me, then you can check out the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 1. It lets you know right there um, that it contradicts these different accounts of people being able to have conversations with God, seeing God, eating with God, wrestling with God, defeating God in a wrestling match even, all those different things are contradictory to what we read in the New Testament. So it's always believe what you want. But Samuel is the one who um, was um, the prophet at that time who was able to get messages and relay the will of God to the people in that um, role. But he's already passed away. We read that a few chapters ago. And what it talk, talks about in the last part of that verse is the spirit of spiritists and mediums. So just in case you don't know what those are, those are people that you would could think of who are like um, able to have interactions with the dead, not so much with God necessarily, but they can act as a medium, as in someone who can interact with the people on one side and the people on the other, the people, people who are living and the people who are dead. They are in the, mid, in the middle. They're the medium. They're the ones that can pass the information, the communication from one end to the other. And the spiritists are people who can be in touch with also, the people on, in the other realm, the entities in the other realm, because sometimes it's people who've passed away, sometimes it's spirits, demons, and angels, and so forth. That whole realm, that's what uh, mediums and spiritists are known for and what they can do. And it may sound crazy, but you see it's right here in the Bible, so it lets us know that just like all the other religions, some of the other religions we've encountered along the way to this point, the Bible is full of lots of them, not just one or two, including people who did things like acted as mediums, acted as spiritists, and weren't just uh, hoaxes, not like a sort of Miss Cleo character, not to say she was a hoax, but to say not that same sort of thing where you are just being duped and giving up your money by someone. And again, not saying that's what Miss Cleo was doing, but saying in those in that same sense of people who are uh, fakes that will get your money and tell you, Oh, this is what your horoscope is, or this is what your future is. This is what your um, or what this is your reading and all of that stuff. It's the same 
thing. And some people, whether you want to believe it or not, clearly had that power. Otherwise, why would you put them out if there's they're no threat? It, it'd be like um, paying attention to someone who, I don't know, um, who says they're able to turn cakes into rabbits or something like that. If they're not able to actually do that, then what threat are they? What sense does it make to focus on putting them out of business and running them out of town if they weren't able to actually do what it is they were able to, um, saying they were able to do? Um, so that's who the mediums and spiritists are. And that's who also it says Saul, that's the king of the uh, Jewish people of the Israelites at this time, the very first one. One of the things that he did was run them out of town. Um, and just one last thing on that whole subject. Remember, like I said, there have been other religions that we've encountered along the way. And before the, um, the tenets of Judaism, before the message, the red letters that Jesus lays out in the Bible, and before Catholicism, are the tenets of it are all laid out. Before all of them in the Bible, anyway, are things like magic, or what you might think of as black magic, witchcraft, voodoo, or Wicca, the, that sort of way of worship existed all the way back in the book of Genesis. People were um, engaging in animal sacrifices and that sort of uh, spiritual worship um, before any of those other religions even arose in the Bible. I say in the Bible because, again, as a Christian, I believe Jesus is from the beginning to the end and all of that. So just because I'm just saying specifically his ministry in the Bible, not his actual existence. Um, before all of that in the Bible um, were these other forms of worship, including the um, these other spiritual forms of worship. Um, so that's who's being talked about there and who's been um, put out of the land. Verse 4, then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all, the, all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. So um, the people are lining up for the war that's on its way. Um, Saul and the Israelites and the Philistines and the uh, and Akish and David and their side are preparing for the battle. Verse five: When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So Saul is the one who uh, has been hunting David down again and again and again because. He got the prophecy from the aforementioned Samuel that a new king was has already been chosen and his reign was going to be over, uh, that the Saul's reign was going to be over. His days were numbered. So he's figured out, apparently, that David was the replacement and has been trying to kill him repeatedly. Um, aside from the fact that David shares love with his son, Jonathan, aside from the fact that David married his daughter, Michael, and aside from the fact that David is more popular as far as his um, achievements in battle than Saul is. So all of those things have contributed to Saul hunting David down repeatedly. Um, what's one other thing about that? Um, oh, and also Saul seems to have some sort of mental disturbances, whether it's dementia or something along those lines where he doesn't always make sense, at least in the narrative, other things he says and does. Verse 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by Urim or by the prophets. So um, Saul is saying is inquired of the Lord, meaning it'd be the equivalent of prayer, but more than just prayer. It's, um, it's, it seems to be some sort of way of utilizing different things, like you would use a crystal ball to see the future or use tarot cards to see what the future is it seems to be there's some sort of way um instruments they would use to inquire one of those instruments um, for the interaction with the divine includes the urim that's mentioned there but there's also another instrument called a thumim there's not very much description given to either one of them in the bible and they're only mentioned a few times throughout the bible mostly in the old testament and they translate to lights and perfections so they seem to me to be something like a device. Um, and the fact that it says lights and perfections, lights could only usually be achieved, if not by fire, by some sort of electrical device. And since we don't know of them having the ability to conduct and use electricity for 
electronic devices like we have now, it seems that it would have to be something along those lines, though. Um, and that's what they would use. And it was part of the um, worship, uh, not so much worship, part of the um, things that the priests in the religion that Saul and David were brought up in would use in their um, former worship. It, From the way it's described, uh, they are described, the Urim and Thummim, that is, they seem to be a part of the ornamental vests that the priests would use um, in their uh, religious ceremonies. But again, it's not a whole lot of description given to what they are other than lights and perfections. And you see here again, they're being used by Saul for his interaction um, with trying to get to divine an answer from God, but he's not getting an answer from God. And one other thing about God in this verse and in this chapter, and as we've read previously, the word Lord in English is being translated from the name Jehovah um, in this instance. And like we've read again and again, that's not always the case. That is the case in this chapter at this point, and he's not getting a response for his inquiries. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So that's not the same indoor as in the Star Wars movies. Um, and that actually is just another example, perhaps, of biblical illusion, where people will use events, names, times, places in the Bible and apply them to pop culture references. So indoor is one instance here, but we've read other ones, like we've talked about how there are, seem to be correlations between the things that happen in the Tolkien series, the Lord of the Rings, with the different uh, ring raids and um, dead kings hunting them and all sorts of other different things that seem to be biblical illusions, things taken right from the Bible and adapted to some sort of other um, reference. Um, and I just mentioned that because so many people are atheists and non-believers, which as always, that's, you know, believe what you want to believe. And in fact, like I've said before, I find atheists and people who don't believe many times easier to get along with than people who call themselves Christians. Because the people who call themselves Christians generally, a lot of times, turn out to just be Bible thumpers. They ignore altogether what Christ actually says in favor of religion. And that's just one more way, so that you keep that clear, that religion is not Christianity. Christianity is not religion. The whole Bible is not Christianity. And um, that religion is very separate from and different from Christianity, though people conflate them as the same thing. Um, so I just thought it's interesting how people will embrace things like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, Star Trek, and yet they're full of different, and they'll call themselves atheists, yet they're full of different biblical references, biblical illusions uh, that are included in the things that they love and that they embrace while they reject the Bible entirely. And as always, like I said, believe what you want to believe. It's just interesting how people do that, compartmentalize what it is they actually believe or say they believe. So anyway, uh, in that same compartmentalization, in that same theme, see, that's what Saul's doing here. He's the same one, the king who ran out all the spiritists and mediums, um, presumably because they're considered blasphemous or anti their religion. So he ran them out of the land. But what does he do? First time he doesn't, or at this time when he's not getting response from God, and I'm just going to say it's God, because it reads as Lord in English here, whether I believe that's God Almighty or not, just reading it as it, to, just so to keep it, so we understand. He's not getting a response from on high, so he's, um, what does he do? He turns around and seeks a medium or a spiritist and finds one. Someone lets him know there is a woman who's a medium, someone who can interact with that other realm, with the other side. And that's who he's seeking when he needs someone to get a response to him, to divine an answer from him, from the supernatural. Verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, please conduct the seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So let's just know right there how hypocritical people can be. He's put out all those people, yet that's who he's gone to looking for assistance, looking for help. It's just like a lot of people 
who publicly act like they're uh, publicly proclaim to be and act bigoted, hateful toward other races. And then when the night falls, that's just what they go looking for. They go looking for us on BBC or some other thing that's outside of the realm of their own race um, that they publicly say they hate. Secretly, they love it and seek it and crave it. And you see it happened in, in history. It happens in modern times. And you don't have to take my word for it. Look how many forefathers there were in America alone that were slave owners, enslaved people, owned people, and yet fathered children with them, had families with them, still wouldn't set the women that they impregnated, forced most likely to have children from them, um, give them their freedom, but still couldn't stay away from them so much so that they impregnated them and had families with them. So um, it lets you know how people can compartmentalize the different things that they say they believe, but what do they actually believe? Do they actually believe in anything? Are they really faithful to anything when you do things like that? It seems to me you're not, but that's just my opinion. So now Saul has disguised himself, found the uh, medium, and he's gone to her asking her to perform a seance for him. And the seance is when you, um, just like he says, calling up the dead. It's when you're able to interact with the supernatural and get that connection with people from uh, in the afterlife or um, beyond this physical life. Um, so one other thing about that is there are other ways that you can um, that people use to make that happen. Um, at least they believe there are believed to be ways to make that happen, and it's been happening for a long time, centuries if not millennia. So it seems unlikely that it's all just made up and fake. But, you know, believe what you want to believe. One of those ways is a Ouija board. It's not spelled the way it sounds. It's spelled O-U-I-G-A, if I remember right. I'm sorry, O-U-I-J-A. Um, but that's what it's pronounced, Ouija. And it's basically the medium. It's what's used to pass from, um, to, to as the medium, the, just like a, a, any other medium, like a cassette tape or a disc or a DVD is a media medium it's the same thing that's what the ouija board acts as that's what the spiritist acts as that's what the medium a female a, a human medium acts as it acts as the media the place where you can access the knowledge and um so that's what he's asking for a seance in this case to bring up the uh, dead person he wants and he's asking her to do it for him verse nine then the woman said to him look you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me? Um, so, so if you're reading along with me, you see what it's saying. But I'm going to clarify what it says here now um, about the last part of that verse. So the woman is um, addressing the disguised Saul, not knowing that who he is. Um, saying that he knows what the law of the land is, that they aren't allowed to operate as spiritists and mediums anymore because the king has forbidden that. He's made it illegal. He shut it down. So he's saying, so she's asking him, why is he asking her to break the law and risk her own life, risk the death penalty for breaking the law? Because that's what the last part of it is, is to cause her to die is what she's saying. Why is he laying a snare for her life to cause her to die by doing what it is he's asking her? to act as a medium and and contact the dead for him. Um, so the one thing to notice about that is Saul is in disguise and she's addressing him and talking about Saul not knowing it's him. That's significant because as we keep reading, we'll see what the revelation is. Verse 10, and Saul swore to her by the Lord saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So he still hasn't revealed that he is Saul, the one who came up with that law. Um, but he's telling her he swears nothing's going to happen to her, that um, she's not going to face any punishment for doing the seance for him that he's asking of her. Now, how he'd be able to swear that to her without letting her know he saw isn't clear. I guess he's just asking her to trust him, take his word for it, and um, do, do what he's asking her to. Just like anybody else who's asking you to break the law might do. They might just tell you, oh, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. No, no, don't worry, you're not going to get caught. That same sort of plea is what he's giving to her, even though he has no ability to stop her from getting, uh, no, and even though someone who may want you to break the law has no ability from stopping you 
from getting caught. If they say, no, 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 you can rob that bank. No, no one's going to catch you. They can swear to you that no one's going to catch you or that you won't get in any trouble. And you can go ahead and believe it and may not get into any trouble. That doesn't mean they had the authority to um, make sure that didn't happen. But he seems to be convincing to the woman to get her to, um, to perform the seance. Uh, verse 11, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. So the woman is convinced that he won't snitch on her because that's probably what she is afraid of, that he's going to get her to say, yeah, I'll do the seance for you. Then turn around and um, turn her into the police and say, look, she did that. Um, she performed the seance. She's, been a, she's a medium. She's a spiritist. Sort of like how the whole Salem witch trials happened in America, where they were trying to hunt down who was the witches and doing whatever they could to torture and kill people to get them to confess to, to being witches. Sort of the same thing, because um, uh, medium spiritus is along that same line of um, of um, work as a witchcraft. As witchcraft is, it's thought of it the same way as something that's considered blasphemous or evil by, especially by Bible thumpers. Even though again, it occurs both of them in the Bible, even before some of those other more popular religion world religions do. People were doing things like that, including the patriarchs. And here's another example of the very first king of the Israelites doing things like that, resorting to a medium, resorting to a spiritist, resorting to a seance, um, even though he just outlawed it for everybody else to do. One more example of how the government and the religious leaders are considered and act as elites, people who lay out laws for other people to follow and live by, but they don't feel bound by those laws at all. In fact, they feel exempt from them even will walk all over those laws if it suits them. And we've read that previously in our last reading of the book of Mark, uh, chapter 11, where Jesus lays it out very clear how um, the religious people do just that. They lay out burdens hard for people to bear, but they don't touch those burdens with one of their fingers. They consider themselves an act exempt from all of the burdens of those laws that they lay out for everyone else to follow and act very corruptly and seem to let themselves get away with it. It's the exact same thing that happens in modern times with religion, with politics, with Bible thumpers. Um, so anyway, she's um, asking who he wants to bring up. And he says, Samuel, that's the same Samuel we mentioned earlier, who was the high priest, sort of the prophet before, who had passed away a few chapters back. I'm not sure how many years or how much time that is, um, in the narrative because it hasn't really kept track of it that way um, but I know as far as in the Bible it was a few chapters ago uh, two or three maybe at the most when Samuel passed away um, so that's who he wants her to bring up verse 12 when the woman saw Samuel she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying why have you deceived me for you are Saul so um, clearly she's able to perform the seance, and the seance is real because she was, one, able to pull up Samuel, contact, make contact with Samuel, who had deceased, who had already passed away. And um, it was shocking enough to her, and she's obviously getting revelations already because just that quickly, it's been revealed to her that the person who went to her for the seance was Saul, the same person who outlawed what she's doing for them right then and there, the same person who... Um, who um, is coming to her for help now, is the same person uh, who outlawed the whole thing. So now she knows it's been revealed to her, just like that, that the person in the skies is Saul. Verse 13, and the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So um, she saw her, um, she had, it's, it, in her case, of her, um, contact, making contact for seance, the supernatural, she saw something. So it's not just hearing, it, uh, uh, it's not just audible, it's actually a vision, a vision that she's seeing, and she's saying spirit. And the word spirit is being, trans the English word spirit is being translated from the Hebrew word Elohim, the same word that the word God um, or Lord gets translated from also, strangely enough, or ironically enough. Um, it's the same word, Elohim, and um, it's not capitalized S for spirit here. Elohim is not capital E in Hebrew, 
And um, Lord, when it's translated um, as Elohim, is also capital L in that case, but the rest of it, O-R-D, is lowercase. So make sense of that how best you can, just something you may want to keep in mind. So she's made contact with an Elohim, a spirit, and um, she's saying that she saw it ascend out of the earth, um, almost like you would see a, a, a grave open. I don't even know what would be similar to seeing something like that. But she's seen, she, what she's describing is she saw a spirit, I guess like a ghost, ascending, rising up out of the earth. And um, let's see what else happens. Verse 14. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stopped and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. So um, let's see here. That's verse 14. He's asking, what is it she saw? What did the vision look like? Um, let's see. And she's describing what she saw as a mantle. I'm sorry, an old man um, wearing a mantle. But if you, um, I have to look up a mantle to see what it is. The way it's described, I just Google it real quick. It looks a whole lot like you would see um, a ghost stand, basically, or even something like a, a long, ro long hooded robe, like you would see a phantom in in a movie or um, um, what would... I'm trying to think, like Red Riding Hood. It's like a long robe with a hood on it. You can search it yourself and see. Um, so that's what she's describing it as that she's seeing um, come, Saul come up and appear to her. And describing it to him, Saul's able to um, discern who it is she's actually seeing. So apparently that's probably how Samuel dressed when he was alive. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, because he was able to perceive that it was Samuel. And in seeing and understanding that Samuel was there present with them spiritually, even though he couldn't see it, she could see Samuel there. He's um, bowed to the earth, basically in reverence to the fact that now um, Samuel is among them spiritually, even again, though he's not able to see it, she is and is able to interact with the spirit. Verse 15, now Samuel said to Saul, what have you disturbed? Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war, and God has departed and does not answer anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. So if you've read me before, just like I've said earlier, you'll understand why I've read it just as it was. It read it as it was, but didn't read every word that's there. It's your first time reading with me, then the quickest, easiest way I could understand um, explain it is what Jesus says. Again, I identify as a Christian, self-identify as a Christian, meaning I hold the things Jesus Christ himself says as my roadmap. So um, when it comes to the things we say, I try to reflect on what Jesus says and how we act, how we do, what we do, and all that. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 37, for by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So in saying it, just as it's written here, you may actually manifest um, some bad things for yourself, some condemnation for yourself, some loss for yourself, if you um, speak these things that are said in this verse out loud yourself. And again, that's just what I believe. Feel free to believe what you want to believe and read it out loud, if you please. But just so you understand why I read it the way I did. So back to what it says. So um, Saul, Samuel now is answering and speaking, it seems, directly to Saul. Now, whether he's actually able to hear it directly or whether she's acting as the medium and the words are passing through her mouth um, that Samuel is saying to her, which seems to be how um, people who I know who have interacted with spiritists and mediums and things have um, described it in the way it's portrayed in movies, Usually the person gets, the medium gets induced to speak or say what it is the spirit is telling them to. And it's similar to how you see in other cases in the Bible when people are induced to start prophesying, for instance, in the previous chapters that we read, or even in um, later on after, after 
after the and after the gospels when the um on the day of pentecost when the holy spirit appears in the book of acts chapter 2 and um appears to make the people there induce the people there to start um speaking in tongues it's that same sort of thing where it's the person saying it but they're being induced by a spiritual force within them making them say it so um it seems to me either that's probably what's happening but maybe it is Samuel has appeared directly and a voice um, is audible to Saul also. Maybe it'll be made clear to us as we keep reading, but one way or the other, Saul is getting the message that it is Samuel speaking to him and asking why has he disturbed him um, from his rest. Um, presumably that's what the afterlife is for Samuel anyway at this point, um, where he was just resting and is not pleased with the fact that Saul has called him up from his rest to interact with him and ask him about things to come. Um, and so Saul responds to Samuel saying, he isn't getting any answers from God. That's the part where I'd be careful if I were you about reading that out loud. But he's saying he's not getting any answers from God. And that's why he's called Samuel up to um, find out what it is he should do, what paths he should take. Um, and so, like I said previously, um, the word in English, the words in English are Lord and God. So the words that they're translated from change. So, for instance, in this verse, where he's saying he's not getting an answer from God, let me see, I'm pretty sure God is being translated from, yeah, from the word Elohim. The same word that um, we read earlier was trans translates to something altogether different. So um, just one more thing to keep in mind, that just because it reads it in English doesn't mean that that's the same thing in the language it was originally spoken. It's just in English for our understanding now. Um, spirit, that was the word that also translated from, um, from the word Elohim. And in this case, Elohim is still lowercase e, but God is capital G. And it's Elohim, whether it's a capital G God or lowercase g God. So just more things to keep in mind as you read it. So that's what Saul is saying. He's saying he's, that's where he's seeking help because he's not getting any more responses from God. Verse 16, and Samuel said, so why do you ask me? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. So that's a pretty grim statement that he's getting in the seance now. Not only is he um, being let know that there's no sense in contacting other people on the other side, the dead, um, or spirits to try and get help when it's clear that his connection to God is broken. Lord, when Samuel uses it here in the uh, in in verse sixteen, is being translated translated from Jehovah again. So again, keep it clear as uh, make sense of it as best you can. Just reading it so we can try to understand. So he's getting the message that his connection to God is broken and that it's pointless for him to make contact with um, Samuel in, um, in the seance at this point. Verse 17, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. So now it's clear, this is the first time where the prophecy that Samuel gave Saul when he was alive is truly directed at and speaking about prophesying about David. Before, it was veiled. It wasn't really clear. It was just told him that there's a new person, a replacement's been chosen, and that the, um, the Lord has already chosen it, and Saul's days are numbered. But this is the first time where the replacement is actually named to Saul as David. So you can imagine what that's going to stir up for Saul, since he was pretty sure up until now anyway that it was David. But now he knows for sure, for sure, that David is his replacement. And um, that can't be pleasing to him. Um, and he's also being told that the prophecy Samuel gave him when he was alive is now being fulfilled. Verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. So again, make sense of it how best you can. The same Lord is, uh, well, maybe not uh, uh, in English. The same Lord gave the Ten Commandments, uh, like thou shalt not kill, and yet the same Lord has told him, um, gave him the command to go and kill, to massacre a whole set of people. 
known as the Amalekites, the descendants of Amalek. And when he didn't do it, that's where he fell from grace. When he didn't go and kill a whole bunch of people, that's when he fell from grace and the kingdom was the promise of him being king and reigning over the people was torn from him, according to the narrative, by the Lord. So does that make sense to you that that would be God Almighty giving a commandment, thou shalt not, shall not kill, but then also turning around and giving the commandment to go and massacre a whole nation of people? Um, it doesn't make sense to me, but it is how it reads. And um, one other way that it could make sense is that it's not God Almighty, but it is indeed a spiritual realm that exists. And people do pray to those different spirits that exist in that realm and call them their Lord and their God and pray to them and treat them and worship them as their God. Whether it's Jehovah or whether it's Baal or El or any of the other named um, entities, deities that we've read about so far, they all can be identified as whoever is worshiping them as Lord or God, but they're not at all God Almighty. So in that sense, that's one way it could make sense and be consistent, even though it's not consistent with God Almighty giving commands like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal. Then telling people, go and covet the land, the promised land, steal it from the people who live there and massacre and kill them, which is exactly the path that's been laid out for the people previously to this point. Verse 19, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So talk about a grim prophecy. Not only has Saul been reassured that the prophecy he got when um, Samuel was alive has come to pass, and the fact that David is his replacement in the kingdom, but also that he's about to die, and he's going to end up in the grave just like Samuel is, um, in the same place where he is, that's where Saul and his sons are headed. And he's saying tomorrow. So letting him know the time is at hand for real. The clock's ticking and the time is almost up. Verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or all night. So now Saul is terrified at the prophecy that he got um, previously being fulfilled right before his eyes and the fact that David is rising in power and even now the newest prophecy he's gotten during the seance that um, the time is up and tomorrow he's going to die him and his sons um, so it's caused him to basically pass out in fear but also in exhaustion because he hasn't eaten anything verse 21 and the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I've put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. So now it seems Samuel has departed. And again, so whether it was an actual physical appearance of Samuel to him that he saw and that Saul saw and interacted with, or whether the woman was induced, the voice spoke through her. Now that it's gone, she's back to her regular self and not acting as a medium anymore. One of the movies, I mentioned it before, that may help illustrate this for you that I thought shows a good illustration of it, of um, a medium and the events that happen around that. Um, and it's believed to have been a person who actually did act as a medium in real life or in modern times. Um, it's a movie called Haunting in Connecticut. I'll try to remember to put it in the description of this video, just in case um, you want to look it up yourself. Um, like the other movies I've mentioned, because um, it might help to put a, a visual to what's actually happening here as far as people being induced with other spirits to um, speak and say and do certain things. So it seems now the woman is back on the scene. The spirit of Samuel, Samuel is gone and she sees that Saul is terrified and passed out. And she's looking out for herself now and saying, look, I did what you asked me to do. Um, I don't want you to turn on me and um, uh, go after me now that you're back to yourself. And now that you got a message you didn't want to hear. Verse 22, now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. So it seems the woman is telling Saul to look out for himself, to eat something and strengthen himself, whatever the message it is that he got that has terrified him. And that makes me think that, again, it, the spirit must have spoken through her. Um, the entity must have spoken through her as a medium 
and she's not aware of what the message actually was. And that seems to be consistent with how it's portrayed in uh, pop culture and movies and things where the medium doesn't remember what happened during the in, in, while they're induced. They only pass their act as that medium. They act as the passageway, as the disc, as the movie, as the videotape, as the DVD. They just act as the surface that's, that plays the message. Um, they, but they don't actually know what that message was or is once they're not induced anymore. Once the spirit departs from them, they come back to themselves and they don't know what was said or what has occurred while they were um, under the influence of the spiritual force. Um, so she's telling Saul that whatever the case may be, he needs to go ahead and eat something and strengthen himself. Um, verse 23, but he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. So he's so terrified and shaken up by the message that he's despondent and doesn't even want to eat anything. He, his stomach is probably turning. He probably He's probably thinking, well, his, um, his time is at hand. What's the first per point of eating anything when he's about to go? Um, but he is gone ahead and eaten something with the urging of the woman and his servants there with him. Verse 24, now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took four, flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So it loves it, it. It often says they hasten to kill those animals and um, cook them. No matter, it takes time to slaughter an animal, to bleed it out, to butcher it, and to cook it at least a few hours. So it's not like, she, even if she's hastening to do it, it's not like in 15 minutes she's got him a burger ready or something like that. It's going to take some time for all that to happen. So, um, but she's done all that. She's done what she could and she's prepared something for him to eat and even bake some bread for him to eat with it. It's unleavened bread though. So it's not like she had to wait for it to rise up like a loaf of bread would have to rise up like some wonder bread or something. Uh, so most likely it's something like pita bread or um, tortilla bread, something like that, some sort of flat bread, um, an hero even um, that can rise up really quickly or not even rise up, but just be prepared and baked and cooked and eaten some naan or something like that. Um, verse 25, so she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So the woman is very hospitable. She's done what she was asked to do. She performed the seance. She's comforted him, after, comforted him after the dreadful news he got. And she's now fed him to help comfort him with some food and before they head on their way. So um, I guess he got what he was, he got what he bargained for. He got the message. And even though it's not what he wanted to hear, he heard it loud and clear. That's actually the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we end this reading. One last thing about this reading, though, and the seance and whatnot. Although, like I said, I self-identify as a Christian, I have tried to understand other different forms of worship, of religion, as you, if you may want to think of it that way, uh, including witchcraft, including um, seeing people who are spiritists, and including people who act um, in that same sense, like a medium or not so much a seance where you're calling up the dead, but someone who can interact with that realm. And strangely enough, believe what you want, some people do have that ability to do it. One of the instances, the one instance that I can think of, because I've only seen uh, someone like that a few times um, in my whole life, but one of the most significant times was when I saw a man named Gary who lived um, in Orlando. He's passed away since then. And I saw him before I moved to D.C. And I asked him uh, about the D.C., how it worked out for me and everything. And everything he told me about it was absolutely on point true. He said it would be, it, I should do it. It would be successful. It would be a good thing for me to do. And And I know all of that sounds very general, like you might hear someone give you a horoscope reading, but he gave me a very, very specific piece of advice too. He told me to make sure that I take the dog I had with me at the time, because at the time I wasn't sure if I should take my dog with me because I didn't know um, about if I even wanted to keep the dog anymore because it wasn't potty trained. I hadn't, wasn't smart enough to take it and get it potty trained. 
and it was getting on my nerves with that. So I was going to give the dog up um, for, uh, you know, adoption or whatever. And so I was really thinking of doing that before I moved because I figured also I wouldn't have to bother with the extra expense of a mouth to feed and um, and um, pet deposits and all of that stuff when I moved. So that was one of the things I mentioned to him. And all the advice he gave me was very specific and on point and accurate. But that one stood out to me because he told me that the other things did too, because they came, they were true. They came to pass, they happened, as crazy as that may sound. But the last, the one thing about the dog, he told me was to make sure I take the dog with me. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll keep my dog. And as crazy as it seems, on the way out of Florida, leaving Florida, head to D.C., me and the guy who was helping me move got pulled over as we were leaving the state. And uh, it was cold. It was the winter time, And um, it was already really cold out here, even though it was Florida. And we got pulled over in the U-Haul moving van, full of my stuff as we're trying to move. And the police pulled us over and um, was ready to hold us up there Um and it was just, I think for speeding, I'm pretty sure it was just speeding, not just speeding, but for speeding. And so um, the police, I don't know if you know it, but in the South, the people are very, the police in many cases are very much like uh, you see in the movie, very, very Bubba-ish, a good old boy type police. And my friend was black and I'm black. So we both kind of had an idea what we were in for when we got pulled over by the sort of hillbilly type cop that pulled us over when we um, got pulled over. And um, my friend was riding dirty, if you know what that means. And so um, we were kind of nervous and terrified that um, just as I was trying to start a new life somewhere else and escape the hateful-ish that Florida is full of, and it's sad to see that hasn't changed much, but it hasn't. There's still a whole lot of racist, hillbilly-type stuff going on in Florida, including by people who are who are, are white supremacists, but they're not even white. They're they are black, they're Latino, white supremacists. They hate they self loathe they're self loathing. They hate themselves. They hate people who are like them. And they help keep a system that oppresses them and people like them alive. It's it's really sick. It's a sick mentality. Anyway, so um I was on my way to escape all of that, get away from all of that. I'm just about to the border to leave. And that's when we got pulled over. And um, he was like, well, y'all might as well pull on over because we're going to search it. So we pulled on over. And like I said, my friend was riding dirty and we both kind of got nervous. But wouldn't you know, when he opened up the U-Haul and saw my little dog there, he had more compassion on the dog since it was cold. Um, and was like, oh, that's OK. Pull the U-Haul door back down and let us go because he didn't want the dog to get cold and freeze out there in the cold. As effed up as that is, it turned out to be exactly like what Gary told me to do. The advice he gave me to make sure I take the dog with me. And like I said, that was just one of the things I asked him about. The fact that DC turned out to be a blessing for me turned out to also be true. And the other thing about something that was going on when I was leaving um, Florida also turned out to be incredibly true about the timing. So people out there are people out there, whether you want to believe it or not, who have that ability to interact with the supernatural, with the divine, with the other world, however you want to think of it. There are people with that gift. And I don't think it's um, uh, demonic or um, anything like that, even though many religions will call it all of those things. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's just they were blessed with that gift to be able to interact and see, because that's what they're even called in the Bible, seers. And then they're also called prophets, but there are people who have that ability to interact with that spiritual realm. And just so you understand why I am a believer the way I am, on top of the way I was brought up and everything, that's not the only interaction with the supernatural that I've had. I told you before about when a friend of mine and I, an old roommate, we went down to uh, the Gasparilla Parade, and then I'll end this reading. Uh, we went down to the Gasparilla Parade when we were both about 20, 21, 22 years old, uh, broke. So we didn't have any money for booze, didn't have any money for weed, didn't have any money for anything. So we walked down there because we were living right outside of Ybor City at the time. And we walked down to 7th Avenue where the whole Gasparilla Parade 
takes place. And um, again, we were completely sober, didn't have any money for any party favors. So we were stone sober and walked down there. So even if we weren't sober, the walk would have got us sober by then. But the point being, we got down to Ybor City, 7th Avenue, and we walked past a restaurant. It's a Cuban restaurant. Still there, I think, on 7th Avenue. It's historic. And um, we saw a ghost, as crazy as that may sound. We walked past one of the windows in the restaurant. We saw a, a pale, sort of ghostly looking, and I say that now, but even if you don't want to think of it as a ghost, think of somebody, elderly man, pale. He looked like he was Cuban. And the person he reminds me of is a character, an actor from the old Gunsmoke series who also appeared in the Golden, Girl, Golden Girls um, um, uh, show. He played the character Fidel Santiago. That's who it looked like, who was there in the restaurant. Restaurant, And we walked past the window and saw the little old man sitting there. It seemed like he was sipping on something, like a cup of coffee or something. And we didn't pay any attention when we walked past it. The rest of the restaurant looked empty. It looked dark. And it was just the little old man sitting there at his table by himself, drinking on that coffee. And so we, we noticed it, walked past it, and headed toward, kept heading toward the uh, parade. So that was the first window we walked past. Then we got to the second window and walked past it and noticed the, looked inside it and the place was completely dark, completely empty, closed down, not shut down like out of business, but just closed down for the day. So we were like, so we both noticed and, it was, and we were like, wait a minute, why is it all shut down and dark in there? And the tables are all cleared and everything. And that man was just there sitting there having coffee. So it caught both of our attention and we walked right back. It was no more than eight to 10 feet, five, eight, 10 feet from window to window um, in that building. So we walked back to the other window where we saw the man sipping coffee to see what's going on. How is it he's sitting there in the closed restaurant having something to drink? And the man was completely gone, disappeared, not even there anymore. So we knew at that instant, We'd seen something super, supernatural. Why we saw it, have no idea. But um, we both surely saw it, and we were both completely sober when it happened. And the person who I saw it with, her name, you know, my name's Misha. Her name's Keisha. We were roommates. We both began the transition at the same time. We aren't in contact anymore. Um, um, but um, we both saw it, and so it's not it wasn't my imagination. Um, but it, the whole point of it is to understand there's a whole other realm whether it's contained in the Bible or not, whether it's a uh, part of Christianity or not, there's the existence of the supernatural out there. And sometimes everyone can, maybe it's out there for everyone to perceive it. Sometimes people perceive it and don't know what they're seeing, but it's out there whether you want to believe it or not. So anyway, that's where we'll end the reading. Thanks again for reading along with me. I hope the naked truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.